The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Are people drawn to you or are they repelled by you? That's the key question we have to wrestle with. And in the darkness, it's indistinguishable. You can't tell whether you should be drawn to someone or repelled by them. In the darkness, you can't tell what's lies or facts, what's good or bad, whether you should push away from someone or get close to them. See, in the darkness, you have reason to be scared and concerned and worried and fears are driven. Worries escalate, concerns grow. In the darkness, we together, you can't distinguish between beauty and horror. You can't tell whether something is good or bad for you or if someone is good or bad for you. But in the darkness, one light makes all the difference. If you've ever been in darkness, all you gotta do is light a candle, turn on a light, And that one light can repel so much darkness. And here's the amazing thing. One light in this moment, and every eye in this room can see it. One light draws the attention of everyone. And one light in the midst of the darkness, one person, good, doing what's right, speaking truth in love, offering just a little bit of hope, even the slightest glimmer of hope changes the atmosphere. But what if it's not just one light? What if there are growing number of lights? What if one light becomes more lights and that one light begins to spread? What if it becomes contagious and just a little bit infectious? What if those lights aren't just growing? What if it's not just one light and more lights? But what if those multiple lights begin to coordinate and work together? What if they begin to put on not just a show, but what if they're actually working together in conjunction? See, lights working together can not just change the atmosphere, but can transform the world around us. You are called not just to be a light and many lights, but to be a coordinated light working together so that you don't just impact and pierce the darkness, but you actually transform the darkness. That's you and I. Now the challenge is that too many of us are far too resistible. We repel people by our politics, by our posts, by our attitudes, by our fears, by our doubts, by the way that we speak, we become entirely resistible. And some of you have had people push away from you because we've become resistible. And what about the church? And before you tune me out, let me just ask, is the church resistible? Because in my experience, it is. In fact, one of the great challenges I have as a pastor and leading a church is that I think so many people, the moment they hear I'm a pastor, the moment they hear I'm part of a church, they just want to tune us out. Because in their experience, the church is not just resistible, it is part of the darkness. It's part of the problem. It shouldn't be that way. It wasn't always that way. That's not the way we're meant to meet. And before you just kind of throw your hands up in the air and give up, I have hope for you. I want to give you an encouragement. I want to bring you on the inside of what we could be and what we should be 
there was this guy, he was definitely part of the darkness. His name was Matthew. Matthew was not just lonely, but he was a traitor to the nation of Israel. He was a tax collector, and as a result, he was hated. And uh, so he didn't have a big group of friends, and anybody who was his friend was really using him because he got rich off of the backs of those that he was cheating and ripping off. The money he raised was used to fund the Roman Empire, an occupying force in the nation of Israel over 2,000 years ago. And so Matthew didn't have many friends. And one day, a man named Jesus walked up and said, Matthew, follow me. Matthew walked away from his you know, cheating profession and became a friend and follower of Jesus. And there was something different about Jesus that Matthew was drawn to. And, and one day, Matthew hears Jesus preaching and he goes, that's what it is. That's what's different about Jesus. Years later, Matthew sat down and he penned out the life and teachings of Jesus from his own eyewitness experience, but not just from his eyewitness account, but from his personal life-changing experience where his darkness was transformed by light. And that's what he heard Jesus talk about. And he recorded it in the gospel of Matthew chapter five. So let's jump right in as we wrap up this sermon series. That's for our city. Jesus is speaking and teaching and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt has an invisible effect. You cannot see the effect of salt, right? If you put it in, put it on food, you don't see the impact. The invisible impact is something you can taste, right? And in ancient times, salt was a very valuable commodity because salt preserved meat. It preserved food, right? So salt is meant to be a preservative and it brings flavor. And so Jesus' point is that when you are following me, you bring a preservative to the moral and spiritual decay that is deteriorating your community. You bring a fresh flavor that transforms your community. But Jesus doesn't just stop at what is invisible and unseen. He continues and he says, you are the light of the world. Suddenly something incredibly visible. In fact, in the darkness, the light is all that you can see. He said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, the, the, you being the light of the world, in fact, a light is the most essential quality in the entire world. In fact, you could say that at the core, light is the essence of creation. It's the most basic element of everything that is, exists. It's, it's the essential element in communication, in science, in medicine, in everything at the core is light. In fact, electricity, everything that powers the world we live in is based on light. And Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You don't hide your light. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good work, your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. There should be something about your life that you are not only an invisible preservative and flavor like salt, but you're a light 
that is seen, that is obvious because it not only repels the darkness, but it transforms the darkness. And unless you cover it up, it can't help but be incredibly invisible and incredibly transformative. And he said, here's, here's what your light is. You let your light shine so that when people see your life, they will be awed, they will be drawn in, and they will make them want to worship God, your Father. And then Jesus adds this third element, right? So salt of the earth, right? Something, it's a basic element that everybody understood in the, the light of the world, something that everybody that Jesus was speaking to would understand. And then he, he uses this metaphor of you're a city on a hill, and the idea of that is that in ancient times, most of the homes in a city would have been painted, were made of limestone and painted white. Now, if they were down in a valley or somewhere off, you might, you might be able to go by that community without noticing it. But these city builders, they wanted the city to be seen. So they built the entire city on a hill. And so anybody anywhere near the vicinity would go by and it would be as if that city would glow. Both during the day when the, sh when the sun shined on it, it would reflect and you couldn't miss it. But even at night, with a few lights shining, because it's up on a hill, you can't miss it. And, and, and the idea of a city on a hill was that even the designers, the builders of this city, they wanted people to notice them. They weren't trying to hide and were afraid of an attack. They were saying, we are here to make a difference. We are marking our city as part of the grander, we are part of a grander um, cooperation in the world around us. And the point is this, that you and I can either add to and be part of the darkness, or we can become salt and light and a city on a hill. And my challenge and Jesus' challenge to us was to be irresistible. In fact, I, I so like this word. I would love it. Maybe you could just say this with me. B. B. Come on, those of you online, those of you on our campus, you just say this with me. Say B. B. Irresistible. Irresistible. Doesn't that just feel good? Right? I, I want to be irresistible. But there's so much to resist about us. And what is it about us that is resistible? It's our selfishness and our greed, our hate and our hurt. All the stuff that's tearing apart our nation. That's all the stuff that you can resist. And why? Because at the core, the darkness in us comes out of us. This salt that's meant to preserve the decay, in us there's decay. And light that's meant to repel darkness, but there's darkness in us. And where does this come from? Well, it comes from our spiritual brokenness. You and I were born separated from God. We were born into darkness. We were born with a spiritual decay already at work in us. We're not cities on a hill. Our life is separated from God and we're headed toward a dark decaying forever separation from God because that's a consequence of sin. And sin is what is creating the darkness in the world around us. It is what is creating the decay and the corruption in the world around us because it's in us. Sin that separates us from God, drives us toward doing what we want, the greed and the selfishness, the hate and the hurt. And the end result is that it leads toward not just death, but a forever judgment. 
But Jesus, Jesus was irresistible. There was something attractive about Jesus. I don't mean that, you know, he, if, you, if you would have seen him, you would have been attracted to him because of his physical appearance. In fact, the prophet Isaiah foretelling about Jesus said that there was nothing attractive about his physical appearance. He was just a common guy if you saw a picture of him. There was, if you were walking on the street and you saw Jesus, there would be nothing. You, trust me, ladies, you wouldn't have done a double take. You'd have walked right by him. But Jesus was irresistible. Why? Because the, another author, John, writing about the life and teachings of Jesus, writes it this way. John chapter 1, verse, verse 4, he says, In him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus was the great light. He was the source of light. And his light gives life to all mankind. Well, what was it about Jesus that made him so irresistible? That his light became life. Here's Jesus. He comes from heaven to earth, God becoming a man to rescue us and drive out darkness. Jesus takes on a mission to enter into the world, to become salt, to drive out the decay. He becomes the light to pierce the darkness, to transform the darkness. He takes on our sin, our shame, our guilt. When Jesus died on the cross, it was as if you could say all of the darkness was heaped onto him. For a moment, the light goes out. For a moment, he absorbs all of the decay. He pays for our sin. He absorbs our death sentence. He dies in our place. But Jesus didn't stay dead. That salt and that light so, was so powerful in Jesus that eventually the salt overcame the decay. And eventually the light overcame the darkness. And Jesus rises from the dead, victorious over death, victorious over the darkness, victorious over sin. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven and given new life. Not just given new life, but you are transformed. It's as if the light of God not, doesn't just come in you, but it transforms you. So you now have life, and then you become life. You now have light, and you become light. You become the very, the work of Jesus that enters into you begins to pour through you. Now look, before you do anything else with this message, can I encourage you to pause and say yes to Jesus if you've never received that light, if you've never received the salt of God's love, his transforming power in you, then before you do anything else, you pause and you say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, you are making a commitment to Jesus by faith. You believe that he died on a cross, that he rose again, and that in his resurrection, he paid for victory over death. He paid for your forgiveness of sins, and he gives you new life. And if you're making that commitment, you let us know. Just simply text the name Jesus to 41411 and someone on our team will follow up with you. We want to encourage you as you begin this new journey through faith in Jesus Christ. Now look, there was a group of people that said yes to Jesus back then. In, in the crowd of the thousands and thousands of people that followed Jesus, some took him seriously. Some, when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, they, they said, we need to become salt. Through Jesus, we're going to become salt. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And some of them said, yeah, you know what? We need to be the light of the world through faith in Jesus. Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. And they said, you know what? We're going to begin to build cities on a hill. And from a, from a small country hillside in Jerusalem, the church began to grow. 
a small gathering of people began to spread out like, like one light becoming multiple lights that became coordinated lights. And, and they became so transformative in their world that they changed their world. And we have the record of what those churches were like, what it was like to be part of that church. In fact, another outsider, a guy named Luke, he never met Jesus, but he met people who met Jesus. And he met people who were like Jesus. He was so attracted to the church. He was so attracted to Christians, he found them irresistible. He became part of the church. He began to study the life and teachings of Jesus. And later, he wrote two volumes about Jesus and the church. And now they're included in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. In the Book of Acts, he gives you a, a snapshot of what he saw when he looked in at the church. He records the moment in Acts chapter 2 where it reads this way. Here, here's what you would have seen if you went to the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is no country club. This isn't a church that you go to because this is where your parents went and your grandparents went. It's not some you know, family religion. It's not the thing to do. It's not about rituals and candles and ceremony. There is something irresistible about this church. And in fact, that's the challenge, right? When you read from Luke's perspective, he's basically showing you what it looks like to be the salt of the earth, the light, the light of the world in a city on a hill. And the point is, you want to be part of this? I read this and I go, I want that. Here's what it'll take. Be committed to the irresistible church. You want to be part of the irresistible church? Then you got to be committed to the irresistible church. See, the church, listen to me, the church is not lights or not having lights. Church is not parking lots and buildings or cathedrals. It's not having pews or chairs. It's not having instruments in a band or not having instruments, drums or not drums. It's, it's not whether or not you have a TV on a stage or you're using screens or you're using nothing, using hymnals. That, that's not what makes a church a church. A church is a gathering of electric, bold, excited, committed Jesus followers who say, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what it takes. We're going to get together through a pandemic. We're going to gather together. We're going to gather together online. We're going to gather together in person. We're going to gather together when it's inconvenient and when it's convenient. We're going to gather together because we, we love each other, because we're in this together. So we, we have to commit, right? If it was easy, it wouldn't require commitment, right? Think about it like having children. Having children takes a commitment. Being married, it takes a commitment. Having close friendships takes a commitment, right? You have to be intentional. You have to be strategic. You got to put effort and energy into it. You, you want to be part of an, an irresistible church? It's not going to happen by accident. You got to put effort and energy. You got to make a commitment. You got to make a commitment to serve and to love and to give and to invest into something that God ordained to be the light of the world in a city on a hill. It requires commitment. See, here's the deal. Commitment costs. The church is both valuable and costly. If it's worth having, 
then it's worth making an investment into. Let me challenge you. What, what commitment is God calling you to, to be part of a city on a hill, a light of the world, salt of the earth? I want to invite you right now. You make a commitment. You make a commitment to serve and to love and to give and to be part of, to come together, to gather. I know that this, in fact, right now, this challenge seems really challenging. Some of you, you've been avoiding gathering and then some of you, you know, you're in a compromised situation or, you know, physically right now you should stay home or you have a relative that has a compromised immune system. We understand. None of us that are gathering in person want you to come and put your family at risk. But some of you, you're letting fear keep you from the irresistible gathering of the church. And so I'm going to compel you, come be part. Come reconnect. Come gather together. Those of you at each of our campuses, can I challenge you? You've got people that are missing out on what it means to be part of an irresistible church. And I want to challenge you. You are part of an irresistible church. Invite them. Don't just casually invite. Don't be shy about it. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Don't be timid. You be bold and you invite them to something that is irresistible. Something that, man, they should be drawn into and want to be part of. Listen to more. Here's how Luke continues to describe it. Can you tell I'm just a little bit excited? Let me keep reading. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. He goes like this. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Generous, driven by love and sacrifice, not greed and selfishness. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts See, they, they were a campus churchman. They met wherever they could. They broke bread in their homes, not just communion, but they ate together and they served together. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. You know what the point is? Uh, the challenge for you and I is to be authentic in irresistible community. There was something authentic about their gathering, but it was because they were in irresistible community. It's not just that the church is irresistible. It's that the community of faith is irresistible. You are invited to become part of a, of a community, right? Let me, let me be clear. Too many people don't see the church as community. They see it as a commodity, something you can buy or sell, a business that provides a service that you go on Yelp or Google, whatever you're using, and you can give it a rating, so there's people who view the church as a commodity, and so after they attend, then they go home and they, they're talking about it, and they go, well, how, what did you think of church today? Well, I'd give this sermon, you know, I'd give it a four, but man, the worship was off the charts, man, that was a 10. And then, you know, then they had to go talking about giving, that was a little weird, I'll give that a two. But the, but the greeters, man, even in the middle of all the pandemic, they were super friendly. I mean, the one lady, she tried to shake my hand. I was a little creeped out by that. But, you know, they were all waving. They had signs up that said, welcome home. So, you know, overall, I give the, the friendliness of that church an eight. But I'm going to steer clear of that lady. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's a commodity. It's a goods that you buy or a service that you try to purchase. And then you decide, am I going to pay my dues? Am I going to... Am I going to contribute to it or not? No, no, no. You're authentic in irresistible community. And you don't do church alone. You don't do family alone. You don't go to family. 
You don't do family, you are a family, and you're functioning as a family. You don't go to church, you are the church. You're not called to do church, you're called to be the church, right? A sheep, one sheep isn't a flock. One cow isn't a herd. One flamingo isn't a flamboyance. No, (laughs) takes a bunch of sheep to be a flock. You don't get to do church by yourself. If you're online, you need to get connected to a group of believers. We provide online groups. We provide community online. You need to get connected. If you're not in community, you are not part of church. You're treating it as a commodity. Stop it. There's nothing irresistible about a commodity. But the church, oh, it's light, it's electric, it's transformative. It communicates the hope of Jesus. It is light in darkness. It is hope in despair. The church is the only mechanism God had to transform the world. In fact, that's the last part of this. Check it out. Luke is wrapping up what he saw, and he goes like this. Here's what they did. They did all these things, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people in the entire city. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, being the church is the hope of the world. The irresistible church is the hope of the world. We are the light in darkness. We are salt in decay. We are the city on a hill. God had one response. Jesus to the sin the brokenness and the despair in the world. But when Jesus came, died, rose again, he only had one delivery system. He he didn't provide mail-in ballots and you can go to the ballot box at the local school, you can drop it off in a box. No, he only had one system of delivery, the church. And the church is the hope of the world. An irresistible church transforms the world. We don't need to be a resistible church. Don't let your faith get muddied by the darkness of the world around you. Don't you, this is why we have to be so careful that we do not compromise our irresistible light with a bunch of darkness. We don't muddy it with politics. We don't muddy it with opinions. We don't muddy it with all of our own personal junk. We go, God, thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what we're gonna be about. We're gonna be a city on a hill. We're gonna shine the name of Jesus. We're gonna make much of God. We're gonna lift our worship high. And here's what happens. When, when we begin to become, when we are an irresistible church, the hope of the world, we transform the world around us from that little country hillside just outside of Jerusalem. The church for 2,000 years has been the leading transformative agent in the entire world. In the second and third century, most of the known world was devastated by plagues. The church Christians stepped in and stepped up and became the leading force of healing and hope in a devastated world during a global pandemic. The church, the church brought healing. The church brought hope. The church brought promise. Fast forward, you get into the 1100s where monasteries became the leading voice of education and science and medicine and the advancement of art and anything that was worth having, it was happening in the church. 
100 of the first 110 universities started were started with the express purpose of propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of the major universities in the, in the Western world today began as seminaries to train ministers of the gospel. The church has been the leading force, Christians who believe in Jesus by faith, for starting orphanages, beginning the foster care system, starting the civil rights movement and the suffrage movement. They're the ones that stuck up uh, for justice against animal cruelty. They're the ones that, stick, that began to step up for the rights of the disabled. To this day, Christians, churches mobilize millions and millions of pounds of food across the globe to feed the hungry. They mobilize billions of dollars in relief aid. To, right now, in, our, in this moment in time, 81% of evangelical Christians serve and volunteer during the month. In contrast to only 26% of the rest of the world or rest of their community. We are exponentially greater in our service and in our impact and in our light. We are the hope of the world. We are meant to be a city on a hill, the light in darkness. When God looks at our city and he's looking for a solution to the pain and the problems and the crisis in the world around us, he puts a church in there. Not just a church with the first name, Lifehouse, but the church. And so we work together, we partner together because we know that God is for our city. We know how? Because he's for us and because he's for you and I and he's for the church and the church, when the church becomes the light of the world, our city will become a city on a hill. And that means Washington County and Franklin County and Frederick County and Berkeley County. See, our light begins to spread. Let's be the light of the world. How can you contribute to the light and dispel the darkness? Let me pray over you. Jesus, my hope is that my words are not just inspiring, but that a light begins to be lit inside of every one of us. And that light begins to burn brighter and brighter so that we become many lights that begin to coordinate together, that begin to transform, transform a home, a community, a city, a country. God, I pray that the church is the transformative light in our nation, that it's not an election, it's not a stimulus package, it's not a Supreme Court justice, it's not the next piece of legislation that's gonna change our nation, but the church would shine its light and become the hope of the world, that we would rise above the hate, we would rise above the politics, we would rise above the hurt, and we would begin to influence, we would influence elections, we would influence Republicans and Democrats, we would influence our city streets, we would love those that are, that are hard to love, we would love the police, we would love our legislators, we would love those in power, and we would love the powerless, we would love the marginalized, we would love the hurting. Jesus, that we would be the church, the city on a hill, the light of the world. And may everyone that hears this, everyone begin to find their place in the body of Christ, in the family of God, in the community of faith. They are valuable. They are precious. They are necessary. May they sense your love and your favor on their lives as they become their part in what you're doing. We ask this now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.